Well, hi guys again. I hope uh, the weekend's going well. You're enjoying yourself and getting some good input. Uh, in this talk, I've called it Dangerous People Turning Vision into Reality. Dangerous People Turning Vision into Reality. And I suppose it comes from a quote by Lawrence of Arabia, uh, where he said, Everyone dreams, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake up in the day to find that it was vanity. But dreamers of the day are dangerous people, for they will act out their dreams and open eyes to make it happen. So here's an invitation to be not a daydreamer, because that's a waste of time, but a dreamer of the day, someone who acts out their dreams with open eyes to make it happen. Now picture uh, an impala in Africa. I don't know if you've ever been to Africa, but on safari, and you see these beautiful impalas, and they are made for the wild, and they can, they can jump. I can't measure it out now, but they can jump 30 feet, so the length of three cars in distance and 10 feet high. That is their potential very elegant and very easily. But you can keep them caged with not a cage, but just a wall that is above their eye line. So they could easily at any stage jump to their own freedom, but they will not because they live by sight. And so they're limited completely in terms of what they think they can do. And that's just a powerful picture, I think, for, for us in a sense. You know, as the impala lives by sight, it's easy to keep caged. And the same actually seems to go for us. We have so much potential in Christ. And what are we going to live out? Are we going to remain caged by fear, suppress our expectations? Or could we actually be dangerous people who turn our vision into reality? So I just want to share a few principles out of that that... Uh, that will apply to all of us in terms of what it will look like to live out our faith. So the first thing is establish what it is that makes you tick. Actually, let me blast through them. Establish what it is that makes you tick. Open your eyes to dream. Step out and take risks. Be disciplined and proactive. Stick to it. Keep the vision clear and don't get distracted. That's what we're looking at briefly. So first of all, establish what it is that makes you tick. Gil Bailey said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go and do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And we're all wired differently in terms of passions, aren't we? This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that are set for you life and death, blessings and curses, that choose life. We want to be fully alive. That's what, that's what uh, second century theologian Irenaeus said. The glory of God is man or woman fully alive. And so what is it that you're passionate about? What is it you're passionate about? And, 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 and see God's face on that. And that is the ideal. The reality is that some of us are in situations where we just have to knuckle down and pay the bills. And it could be a season of life where we just have to show obedience in a, in a difficult situation. Maybe there are consequences to our actions and we've made some mistakes and we've got to live out in the context of those. That's our reality. But as we look forward and look ahead and think, God, what is it you've put me on this planet for? That'd be a great thing to start with. Establish what it is that makes you tick. Secondly, open your eyes to dream. Remember, we live by faith and not by sight. So what would be your dream? Would it be making lots of money so you could release more into kingdom ventures? Are you creative? So how can you use that creativity in, I don't know, developing younger people, the next generation? Uh, uh, inspiring others? Are you a manager? Have you 
harnessed or allow those skills to be harnessed to, for his glory. Again, mentoring, I don't know, parents, what's, what's, what's your dreams in terms of how you raise your children? Retirement years, you know, are we going to coast in self-indulgence from retirement to the grave? No, there's so much more, isn't there? So we've got our life ahead of us. And you want to ask God, you know, what is it you want me to do and, and, and dare to dream on it? You know, Disneyland and Disney World, they became hugely successful realities, didn't they? But actually Walt Disney died before the latter was completed. And at the opening ceremony uh, at Disney World in Florida, the, the presiding speaker was on the stage and his wife was sat behind, uh, sorry, Walt Disney's wife was sat behind him. And, and uh, the speaker said, I wish Walt could have seen this. And behind him, his, his wife, Walt's wife whispered, he did. He did. He'd already seen it. He'd already dreamed about it in his mind. Now, I don't know if you've heard about the parable of the waddling ducks, but in a certain town, there's a, on a Sunday morning, all these ducks waddled out of their houses and waddled down the street and waddled into churches and sat down. And then the, uh, the choir master waddled up and led the choir. And then, and then, and then the, the, the preacher waddled forward and he delivered this thundering exhortation. Ducks, the Lord has given us wings so that we can soar so so get out there and soar and they gave a hearty amen and then they waddled home and we don't want this weekend together to be one of those sessions where we just like lots of pep talks that we g'd up and then we just waddled home Helen Keller, who's both blind and deaf, in an interview, she was asked if there's anything worse than being blind and deaf. She said, she said, oh yes, there is something far worse than being blind. It's being able to see and having no vision. You see, poor eyes may limit our vision, but worse than that, poor vision will limit our deeds. So, so dare to dream. And you know, the dreamings, by definition, aren't a reality yet. You know, my dream has been a very long haul in Burundi to see that nation transformed. And I've taken some knocks in the mix, but, but determined dreaming, dare to dream, like, come on, bring it on. What, how is it gonna become reality just <laughs> Well, we believe in the God of the impossible, don't we? And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. What is your dream for your street, your community? And, uh, by God's grace, we will get there. But nothing happens overnight. You know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, my, my dream for my street is that it be a model of people coming to Christ. I've prayed outside each of those houses, you know, 90 odd houses, every, every, barring two days in the last 18 months, every day that I've been here. And I've just invited them all to Alpha. And last night I was on Alpha saying, and no one came. Gutted. I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm gutted right now. But hey, you know, keep dreaming. You'll get some knocks, but you know, what's it going to look like? Just keep on reaching out, keep plucking away. There'll have been seeds sown through that. Maybe it's next year though when I do another invite that's going to happen. Who knows? But open your, establish it what it is that makes you tick. Open your eyes to dream. Step out and take risks. Well, we already talked about that, didn't we, in the um, Genesis passage. But you know, you've got an idea, you've got a dream that God has given you. What, what gets you excited? What are you going to aim at? The next step is you've got to take risks. You've got to step out. You know, sometimes we've got to go as far as we can, like Abram did, and then you'll be able to see that bit further uh, and keep on going. Now, a survey was taken uh, recently of, of people over the age of 95, and, and the people asked one question. It was, it was an open-ended question. They could answer it any which way they wanted. And, 
And it, the question was, if you could live your life again, what would you do differently? And, you know, it's a fascinating question, isn't it? At the end of your life, looking back, what would you do differently? And, and three recurring answers came. The first one is, if I could live my life over again, I'd reflect more, interestingly. Secondly, I would risk more. And thirdly, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. <coughs> so we need to choose, choose freedom from our nat natural inclinations towards safe convention. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to look back and have any regrets. You know, just after his college days, Malcolm Muggeridge out in Cambridge, he scribbled uh, his own epitaph to a fe fellow student, epitaph, and he said, "Here lieth one whose soul sometimes burned with great longings, to whom sometimes the curtain of the infinite was opened just a little, but who lacked the guts." to make any use of it. Well, you know, what tragic candor, come on. You know, a ship is safe in the harbour, but it wasn't made for the harbour, was it? It was made to take on the seas, the high seas. Mark Twain warns us, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do by the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbour, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. So what is it that uh, that will look like in terms of taking risks for the accomplishment of your, of your dream? And it will be messy, won't it? I think uh, back to uh, Francis Schaeffer's life, and he was a great American apologist, and you know, he, he would reach out, he opened his house to uh, lots of disillusioned students who were sort of seeking the purpose of life, hippies and uh, sort of disenchanted intellectuals, all sorts would come traipsing through his house. He actually lived in uh, Switzerland. He set up this community called L'Abri, L'Abri. L'Abri French is uh, shelter. And uh, he wrote this uh, as he reflected on his experiences. He says, in about the first three years of L'Abri, all our wedding presents were wiped out. Our sheets were torn, holes were burned in our rugs, drugs came into our place, people vomited on our rugs. How many times have you had a drug taker come into your home? Sure, it's a danger to your family, but, and you must be careful, but have you ever risked it? If you've never done any of these things or things of this nature, if you've been married for years and years and have had a home or even a room and none of this has ever happened, if you've been quiet, especially as our culture is crumbling around us, if this is true, do you really believe that people are going to hell? It's challenging, isn't it? And it's been messy, you know, for us again in lockdown as we tried to incarnate this and there's a guy who set up um, his tent on, on, the, on the park around the corner. We live in quite a posh area now and it's like, he's like, all right, come on in, have your showers, you know, have a meal with us. You know, not every day, he'd come twice a week and it was, it was really messy and I was like, oh, what's it look like to, to try to be the kingdom here and, and with, you know, his drugs and, and that and young children. It was, you know, it is going to be messy, but do we really believe this stuff? Are we just talking a good game? It means getting our hands dirty and, and maybe in terms of taking those risks, you know, there's, there's fear, there's fear of all sorts that things will get messy, that we'll be out of control, that things will go wrong, that we'll, that we'll fail. And I just want to say that, you know, what is a failure? Was last night a failure for me? I, mean, I feel a bit like it. 90 invites, 85 invites. No, it's not. The Lord can use anything. <coughs> I went to school that Winston Churchill went to, and and, uh, and you know he was once interviewed by a journalist that uh, he asked him, you know, what, what equipped him for 
you know, showing the character to stand up to Hitler in those appeasement years in the late 1930s and, and speak out about what was going to happen and then, and then take on um, Hitler and largely be used as the figurehead for, for beating the Germans. And he said that it was the, the time that he'd been forced to repeat a year at school. And, and the interviewer was like, incredulous, what do you mean? You, the great Winston Churchill, you failed a year at school? And, oh, but, uh, sorry, um, Churchill replied, I, I never failed anything in my life. I was just given the second opportunity to get things right. So, you know, failure isn't an event. It's a rather judgment about events. That failure isn't something that happens to us or a label we attach to things. It's, it's the way we think about outcomes. So says John Altberg. Have you heard of Jonas Salk? He actually was the, the man who found the successful vo vaccine for polio. But before he found it, he tried 200 unsuccessful sort of experiments that, that failed. And... Someone once asked him, how did it feel to fail those 200 times? He said, I've never failed 200 times. I was, I was taught not to use the word failure. I just discovered 200 ways how not to vaccinate for polio. You know, well, I go, those guys failures. No, they weren't. Also, Edmund Hillary and being the first man with Norgai to climb, climb Mount, Mount Everest. And, uh, you know, it was, it was so hard, wasn't it? And after he made a, a number of unsuccessful attempts before definitively getting there and at one stage he stood at the base of Mount Everest and he shook his fist up at it in defiance he said I'll defeat you yet because you're as big as you're gonna get and I'm still growing and every time he failed he grew some somewhat and, and, and eventually he got there and he made it so come on step out and take risks and redefine failure as instead of a, a stumbling block, a stepping stone in your journey, in your pursuit of Christ. So establish what it is that makes you tick. Open your eyes to dream. Step out and take risks. Next one, be disciplined and proactive. You know, be disciplined and proactive, not reactive. Most people are actually reactive. Most of us, we lead our lives reactively. And so we miss out on what, uh, on what you know, this incredible potential we have in us, God given by the Holy Spirit. The one who's in us is greater than the one who's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so I want to encourage you to, to really spend some time in sort of crystallizing and thinking and writing down what you're aiming for, who you want to be about in terms of in your community, what size vision dream you've got, how you're going to uh, act it out. You know, it, it, it turns out that 87% uh, of people That'll be most of us probably listening, although we're probably slightly more motivated than your average crew. But 87% people sort of live, you know, yeah, sort of, sort of vaguely knowing where we're going, but not really. 10% of people uh, would have a sort of real sort of a, a mission, mission, mission statement, a sort of, they're, they're pretty clear on what's going on and, and it's there in their heads, but only 3% of people write it down. And the 3% of people that, who write it down have an exponentially more effective uh, fruitfulness in their life. And I read something that quantified it that, that said that if they had multiple times uh, more effective lives, not just than the 87%, but than the 10%ers. And uh, I'm not quoting it because I almost can't quite believe it, but the, the, po the point is, is that I mean, note that the Creator committed his goals and plans in writing, didn't he, in the Holy Scriptures. So we should too. Let's write down our goals. May they be written and personal and specific and uh, measurable and time-sensitive. And 
So, you know, we've just closed up this, this last week, we've closed up, I've just written, I've written a blog on it. I think all Christian initiatives for peace and during the crisis in Burundi 2015, it kicked off again and we got together, had the holiest meeting of my life where we, where we um, said, oh, how are we gonna stop war kicking off here right now? In 1993 genocide, it kicked off. And then someone wrote a tract, where did the people of God go? The church failed, went to ground in fear like everyone else. And in 2015, we, we, we sat around the table, burning barricades and said, you know, so what are we gonna do so that it will not be said, there won't be a tract in 2015 saying, where did the people of God go? And we created this thing called Christian Initiatives for Peace. We blasted uh, non-violence non values from the radios and TV and we did tracks and we got militias together and, and uh, youth together and, and the, uh, different ones of us were better. You know, you take the Christian youth, the, the militias, the pastors, and, and, and you know what? It's hard to quantify quite how big that was but, but because war didn't happen in the end. I mean, a few thousand people were killed, half a million people fled the country, but Christian Initiatives for Peace achieved its role and we, we, we closed it. We closed it last week, it took six years. We said, there is peace. And we uh, don't want to claim all the glory, but I'm so proud of our guys. That was kingdom people completely influencing the whole nation. Mind blowing, isn't it? So goals, what are your goals? May they be written, personal, specific, measurable, time sensitive. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way and shows the way, said John Maxwell. And the world makes way for a man or woman who knows where they're going. And may we be people who know where we're going. That was Ralph Waldo Emerson, a philosopher, poet. Those seven, was it Steve Covey's book, Those Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People. There's loads of good stuff in books like that, aren't there? So he says, we, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, excellence is not an act, but a habit. And as you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And we are responsible. You know, no, no one can persuade another person to change. Each of us guards a gate of change that can, that, uh, can only be opened from the inside. So you can't open someone else's gate uh, by, by, by argument or by emotional appeal. And, and they can't open yours. We, we are responsible, aren't we? Able to respond. And our, our behavior is a function of, a, of our decisions, not our conditions. So let's be proactive people. Proactive people carry the, the weather with them where they're going. We're not driven, if we're proactive people, we're not driven by feelings or by circumstances, or by conditions or by the environment. We are, we are driven by values, carefully thought out, selected and internalized values. So it's not, it's not what happens to us, but it's our response to what happens to us that hurts us. And if you just wait to be acted upon, you will be acted upon. So that's another thing. But there's a difference between uh, positive thinking and proactivity. See, as a proactive people, we did face reality. And the reality uh, was that we had the power to choose a positive response to those circumstances and projections. So it goes even down to our use of language. Not, I, I, I have to, but I choose to. I choose to do this or that. I choose to love. You know, in the great literature of all progressive societies, love is a verb, but reactive people make it a feeling. And if our, if our feelings control our actions, it's, it's because we've actually abdicated our responsibility and empowered them to do so. But proactive people make love a verb. And yeah, we do take responsibility, whereas 
Uh, it's the nature of reactive people to absolve themselves of responsibility to blame other people. So the problem is out there. Well, anytime the problem is out there, that thought is the very problem. There's just a number of thoughts there. I mean, they're meaty, aren't they? So, so establish what it is that makes you tick. Open your eyes to dream. Step out and take risks. Don't be that caged empire. Be disciplined and proactive and then stick to it. We've got to stick to it. Christian initiatives of peace. I mean, that was six years sticking to it. Other dreams, I'm 23 years into it in Burundi in terms of seeing the whole nation uh, radically transformed through a, a new generation rising up, marching to the beat of a different drum, not being into nepotism, ethnic hated corruption, etc. As we seek to empower and equip and identify the best local leaders of passion, integrity, gifting and vision for the transformation nation, bottom up and top down, it's happening, but it's taking time. I've had sucker punches in the, low, in, in, in the mix. I've had betrayals. You will have too. You'll have difficulties, uh, but we just got to hang on in there. There's, um, I'm sure this is apocryphal clearly, but uh, it's, it's a good sort of illustration for it. And that is of, um, let's call him Uncle Sam. He had a mule, his favorite mule. His mule was leaning over the well and looking down at himself in the reflection. And then, and then he slipped and the, the mule fell down into the well and he was at the bottom of the well splashing around and it just, <laughs> and uh, it was a long way down. And it was simply impossible to get him out. And so Uncle Sam just thought, I can't listen to it <laughs> until it starts to death for a few weeks. So he decided to put it, put it out of his misery. So he started <laughs> with a spade and just <laughs> soil. <laughs> And, 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 uh, and Bessie, or whatever his name is, the mule down there, is just <laughs> landing on top. <laughs> and it, it had the choice either just to sit there or to shake it off and step on it. And so each, each sort of spadeful soil that came down, <laughs> landed on its head, it shook it off and stepped on it. And of course, what happened is it shook it off and stepped on it is that it got higher and higher and higher as the well got filled and eventually Bessie stepped out into freedom and survived. Now, that's just a great picture of, if you've been following Jesus at the time, you've had loads of <laughs> land on you, haven't you? But just shake it off by God's grace and step on it and then we will grow out and move on and you know, nothing happens without things being really contested. Nothing of any significance in, in any case. You know, the word smith, in silversmith originally comes from the word to smite and silversmiths are accomplished smiters and so is god over the story of uh, these bunch of ladies doing a bible study on malachi in chapter three so third week they're studying malachi and there's uh, verse three says he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and, and uh, they discussed that picture of god as a silversmith and us as the silver in the furnace being Purified and it's hot. This is a place of dross, a place where the, the impurities and dross is being burnt off. Anyway, one lady wanted to get the full import of the, of the analogy. So the next day she went to a silversmith and said, could I watch you whilst you're doing your work? He said, yeah, come on, take a seat. So she's watching him and after a while she says, yeah, but you know, this is really interesting, but do you have to sit the whole time whilst the refining process is taking place? And he says, yes, ma'am. I have to sit the whole time with my eyes intently fixed on the furnace because if the refining process is exceeded by the slightest degree, then the silver will be damaged. She thought, oh, that's really comforting. You know, I'm going through a hell of a time right now. It's really tough. I've had some knocks, but 
but but I'm in it, I'm in the furnace and and God's got his eyes on me and he's a good father and he won't let me take however hot it is he won't let it be taken an incy wincy bit beyond what's right because he doesn't want me to be damaged and so she left feeling comforted but as she walked out the door he said called her back said hey ma'am I've got to tell you that the only time I know the refining process is complete is when I can see my image reflected in the silver. Isn't that beautiful? That's 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18, isn't it? And we who all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so, you know, that process of refining is ultimately to be beautiful, to see, we want people to see Christ's image reflected out of us, don't we? But that takes a lifetime ultimately, doesn't it? But hopefully we reflect him a bit more than we did last year and the year before as we grow in our journey. And it will take time. We've got to, we've got to stick to it. We're in the long game here. Holiness is a process. And, you know, when God wants to make a mushroom, you know, they spring up overnight, don't they? But when he wants to make an oak, he takes and grows it over a good hundred years. And with God, delay is not denial. Sometimes you've got to just remember how far you've come rather than not just how far you've got to go in any given pursuit. I don't know if you knew this, but you know, many tomatoes are picked, well, they are they? very unripened. Uh, and that is so they don't bruise. And then shortly before they're put out on display, they are sprayed with CO2 gas to turn them instantly red before they're sold. Do you know that? And they look all right, but you and I both know if you've been to the south of France or wherever and you just eat them with a beautiful juicy tomato, that, that, that uh, a, a gas-ripened tomato is no match for a vine-ripened one that's allowed to mature slowly. And you know, we worry about how fast we can grow and God is more concerned about how strong we grow. We want quick fixes, but healthy growth is gradual growth. So be patient with yourself and don't try to force God's hand. Establish what it is that makes you tick. Open your eyes to dream. Step out and take risks. Be disciplined and proactive. Stick to it and keep the vision clear. Joshua 1 verse 7. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that you may prosper wherever you go. A certain man took his friend on a, an exploratory drive outside the city, but 20 miles out of the city, and you know they drove into the middle of nowhere, and there's this random plot of land, and he, there were just a few tired shacks, some animals grazing, and, and the friend, whose name was Walter, he turned off the engine, got out, and he started describing incredible terms and detailed terms how he was going to develop this land, and he was offering his, his mate, uh, Arthur, the opportunity to buy the surrounding <clears throat> land and make a killing in the process but Arthur just thought dude this is ridiculous it's ludicrous and he, he questioned Walter who on earth is going to drive 20 miles into the middle of nowhere for this absurd project the, the logistics of the venture, venture you're talking about just mind-blowing anyway Walter replied he said Arthur I can take care of the main project myself but it'll use up all my money and this land boundary that we're standing on right now, in just a couple of years, it's going to be jam-packed with, with hotels and restaurants, convention halls to accommodate the tens of thousands of uh, guests that are going to come. And uh, you need to invest right now because the, the, the acreage is going to 
multiply over in terms of value in the coming years, several hundred times, I reckon, in the next five years. Anyway, looking back on it, this friend was Arthur reminisced. He said, you know, what could I say? I knew he was wrong. I knew that he'd let this dream get the best of his common sense. So I mumbled something about a, a tight money situation and promised that I'd look into the whole thing a little later on. And as they returned the car, Walter sighed and he warned Arthur, later on will be too late. You've got to move on this now. And that's how Art Linklater missed out on the opportunity to buy up all the land that surrounded what was to become Disneyland. His friend Walter, Walt Disney, tried to talk him into sharing the dream, but Art thought he was too crazy. Keep the vision clear, what's it going to look like? And lastly, just don't, don't get distracted. There are so many distractions. There's, there's a tyranny of the urgent over the important. And uh, it's very easy with so much sound and noise and things competing for our attention for us to just get lost. So to illustrate that very briefly, a man you know, bought a new hunting dog and he was eager to see how it would perform. So he took it out to track a bear. That was the vision, to track a bear. No sooner had they got into the woods than the dog picked up the trail of the bear and, and suddenly he stopped and sniffed the ground and he, he headed in a new, a new direction because uh, he caught the scent of a deer. And so he's blasting it after, after this deer. And then a moment later he stopped and caught the scent of a rabbit. And so he changed direction and blasted after that rabbit. And then, and then it, it went on and on like this. And eventually when the breathless hunter caught up with his... His panting dog, he was just sat there absolutely exhausted and found him barking triumphantly down the hole of a field mouse. He started out for a bear and he ended up with a field mouse because of getting constantly, constantly distracted. You know, those, those cattle ranchers, they'll talk about their cows and, and uh, how they get lost. And, yeah, it's, it's a big deal uh, actually on those, in, in America on those big cattle ranches because if someone else hits your cow, it's actually your fault. It's not their fault and you have to pay, uh, you have to pay all the bills for the car and everything. And, and, and when you ask a rancher how a cow gets lost, chances are he'll reply, well, the, the cow starts nibbling uh, on this tuft of grass here and when it finishes, it raises its head and sees that tuft of grass there and it just moves on like that. And eventually it nibbles on a tuft of grass that's right next to a hole in the fence and then it goes through that fence it sees, because it sees another tuft of grass and it just nibbles itself into being lost. Do either of those pictures resonate with us? Let's not get distracted in our pursuit of the goal. So guys, I've just blasted a, a few principles. I hope they are helpful. Establish what it is. Let's be dangerous people. Turning vision into reality. Not stuck in that ruthless cage with the potential easily to move on uh, and, and do great things. But establish what it is that makes you tick. Open your eyes to dreams. Step out and take risks. Be disciplined and proactive. Stick to it. Keep the vision clear and don't get distracted. And I might just add one last one, which is enjoy the ride and do it together. That was my book, More Than Conquerors. We are more than conquerors because we do it together. And so I wish you God's blessing as you move beyond this weekend, uh, getting out there in these weird times, seeking to be used for God's glory. Go for it. Cheering you on at a distance. See you sometime in the flesh.